We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio, I'm Michael Krasny. For more than six months, the COVID-19 pandemic has gripped the United States, destroying livelihoods, severing relationships, and upending the daily lives and routines for all of us. And for those who have contracted the coronavirus, which has claimed more than 180,000 American lives, it's been a particularly trying and stressful time. And Forum put a call out asking those of you who have had COVID to share your stories, the symptoms you had, your experiences with the medical system, the psychological and emotional effects you felt. And coming up, we feature your stories. That's next after this news. Welcome to this morning's Forum program. I'm Michael Krasny. For most of 2020, the coronavirus pandemic has laid siege to California, with the state now counting more than 700,000 confirmed cases. But statistics, while staggering, sometimes overshadow the real people dealing with physical and mental consequences from the virus. Some have had mild or no symptoms, but nonetheless have dealt with anxiety, stress, and fear from the infection, and others have faced recurring issues long after the virus was inactive in their bodies. In this hour, we're going to hear stories of coronavirus survivors. And joining us is Dr. Maya Artandi, Medical Director of Express Care Clinics and Crown. That's the care and respiratory observation of patients with novel coronavirus at the Stanford HealthCare. And welcome, Dr. Artandi. Good to have you with us. Good morning. It's wonderful to be here. Good morning to you. We'll also say good morning to Brenda Herrick, who's joining us for this first segment. She's a San Mateo resident and a COVID-19 survivor. Welcome, Brenda Herrick. Thank you very much. Glad to have you. And let me begin, Dr. Atandi, with you. And let's find out uh, if we could from you. I know you're over there at the Hoover Pavilion. You've got patients uh, who uh, don't need to be hospitalized. What are you doing with these patients and what's the nature of your research? So what we are doing is we are taking care of all the patients who have COVID-19 who don't need to be admitted to the hospital. We started the Crown Clinic, which is the clinic that takes care of those patients um, in the middle of April. And we have been following quite a few patients. What we do is we risk stratify those patients. And then based on their risk, we call them, do video visits, have them come into clinic um, to make sure they're doing okay. And this has been going on since April, I know. And uh, let's talk about what you've discovered over the course of time. The, the, first of all, the symptoms keep changing, don't they? Yeah. We, with coronavirus, we learn something new every single day. It's quite challenging. <laughs> it's challenging indeed because of the uncertainty and, and the mystery of all that. Uh, but we keep hearing about therapeutics on the verge of those and possibly a vaccine eventually. But is there really any good treatment for coronavirus at this point? efficacious treatment 
in the outpatient setting, there is not, unfortunately. So what we do in our clinic is we monitor those patients closely. Our high-risk and moderate-risk patients will get an oximeter, which is a device to measure the oxygen saturation in the blood. And we call them frequently. We ask them to monitor the oxygen saturation. And then those patients often have a lot of questions because they're quarantined. They're often by themselves. They're very scared. And just talking to a provider, a medical provider, helps a lot. Talk about that fear that you have noticed in patients. It's uh, actually inappropriate. It would be appropriate to call it terror in many instances, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. People are very scared. It's it's really scary. You have a disease. You don't know how serious it will get. And with COVID-19, the most serious symptoms actually start in week two. We often see a decline in ability to breathe between day five and day 10. And those patients are stuck by themselves. Often the family can't visit them because um, they're in quarantine. And they're just really, you're right, they, they are super scared. And there's a stigma about having COVID. Talk about that if you would. Yeah, there is a stigma because if you have COVID, you're contagious and nobody else wants to get it and you don't want to give it to anybody. Um, and there's also the stigma is how long are you then contagious after having had the virus? How fast can you go back to work? And for the CDC guidelines, someone who has mild to moderate COVID, they can go back to work, get out of quarantine 10 days after symptom onset. If someone had more serious COVID-19, um, meaning they were in the hospital, they were really sick, it often takes 20 days for them to get out of quarantine. Well, we'll talk about this more in the course of the hour, but there's this phenomenon now called the long haulers, those who have symptoms long beyond what at least initially was thought to be the time that they would experience those symptoms. Uh, could you address that? Oh, yeah. Um, so long haulers are patients who don't get better quickly. They often still have symptoms weeks to months after. The most common symptoms I see in clinic is a persistent cough, fatigue, but people can have cardiac symptoms like um, chest pain. They can have weakness of their heart muscle. They can have actually lung injury that takes a long time to heal. Um, people who are more severely ill have a higher risk of having those um, damages of their organs. But I've also seen that in people who had only mild COVID and it takes them a long time to recover. We're talking uh, with Dr. Maya Arantandi, who is a doctor treating coronavirus patients at Stanford Healthcare. And we want to talk to someone who is a survivor of COVID. We'll talk to a number of those people over the course of this hour. But in the meantime, we do want to hear from you. Do you have an experience with coronavirus you would like to share and let people know what you've experienced or what kind of symptoms you've endured? You can give us a call right now, and I invite you to do that. Our toll-free number is available to you. It's 866-733-6786. That number again for your calls, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email any questions you may have to forum at kqed.org. I want to bring Brenda Herrick into this conversation. She's a San Mateo resident and a COVID-19 survivor and a nurse in San Mateo. And uh, Brenda, you were on the front lines. I mean, first of all, kudos to that. I mean, you're one of the heroes, really, on the front lines. But oh, well. I imagine it exposed you to many sick patients. Many sick patients that we are also still seeing daily. Um, started so how did you really... get the coronavirus? Do you know at this point? Well, I mean, there's no exact way but of, of knowing, but it had to have been from, from work. And I... Um, 
I did get it rather, I guess, early. Um, my first symptoms started April 15th. So, um, but we were, you know, I had been in, you know, since March seeing, seeing people stuck in rooms with COVID and very sick. And you're, you know, we go, we don't like to go in and out of rooms a lot to, just to minimize um, exposure to um, others. And of course, for um, not using our PPE and conserving that. So you are stuck in rooms for one to two, sometimes even three hours um, with with a sick patient. Um, and But we have our COVID patients separate from the general population in the emergency department as well. So um, that's also important for people to know that. Um, that we do keep people separate. So I'm assuming it was it was from work because what, I'm exposed to it every day. And and talk about what you experienced, what you went through. Uh, the symptoms started on the day the taxes used to be due. Uh, yes, that's, this year. that's why I'll, I'll never forget. Exactly. That's um, always memorable, I, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Um, I had worked um, many days in a row and it was my one day off and I had to go back the next day. But I felt very unusual tired. And I'm like, why am I so tired? <clears throat> it's not my usual, you know, after a stretch, but I had to do many things to get ready to, for my next stretch on. And I was, you know, sheltering in place, um, grocery shopping for myself and my parents. And um, I had to get things done for the next day. And I was like, oh, I'm just really dragging today. <clears throat> so the next day I felt better not great. And then um, I did a workout and I was like struggling to the workout. I'm like, golly, I'm, and I slept 10 hours the night before and I make this tea every day. It's a very strong, it's turmeric, ginger, lemon, cinnamon, and I couldn't taste it. And I'm like, oh no. So then it just clicked. I have COVID. So I called um, our hotline and I went through our drive-thru was swabbed and the next day was positive. And, um, and then the symptoms started really coming in like the third and fourth day. The, the Forgive me, could I ask you to back up for just a moment? What did it feel sorry, like when sorry. you realized that you had tested positive? Could you explain that? I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it because it was just that the fatigue, but I could still function and I couldn't taste. And then I knew I had it and I was, it was just so, shocking and, and so unbelievably surprising. Like, really, how did I get this? I mean, I rarely even get a cold. I've never had influenza. And, and it was just kind of mind-blowing. I'm like, I have this disease. And then, really, what's going to happen? It's the unknown. And every and everyone goes to the unknown. You never know how you are going to um, be affected by this. And I am really healthy, really healthy. Um and so I'm like, how, how? But I'm like, of course, it was, you know, of work, of course. And then there were several of us at work who were also um, sick. Um, we all kind of got sick within uh, kind of the same time, a week or two apart. You know, there was a little cluster of us. Um, but since then, since I guess May, nobody has been sick, which is really, really amazing. Amazing. Um, in our department, in our department. How are you um, feeling now in your department, and how are you feeling personally at this point? Oh, I feel great. I bounced back really well. I really did. Um, it was like a two, about two weeks from 
onset of symptoms to when I was back to work, the only thing that lagged behind was my sense of taste. That didn't, it took about six weeks to get my taste back 100%. I could taste, but it wasn't great. Other than that, I was fine. Energy level, I had no other no other issues. So I count myself very, very lucky in that yeah, respect. I'm, I'm glad that you are lucky, and I'm glad that you came through this. Is there any advice uh, you would give to people now, especially in light of what you have experienced, uh, not only as a nurse, but personally with the coronavirus? Well, yes, I just really, a lot of people, so many people, even, you know, patients, I get the question, have you, have you seen any COVID um, in your hospital patients that come in and it's just kind of mind blowing. It's like, really? They're asking questions. Have we seen sick people? But if you have not known anyone who's had it, anyone in your bubble, it seems like it's just way out there and it's not, it's your neighbor. It's someone you, you don't know. And it's, and we, the numbers are so high, but those numbers don't sit in with, with many people, I don't think, because the questions, and I just want people to know it's there, it's, it's still going strong, and we just have to do the right thing. I still shelter in place. I, I have immunity. I don't know how long I have immunity for. I don't know how strong the immunity is. Um, I do donate convalescent plasma. Um, I do that once a month. And I am not sure, so I, I still do what people should be doing, sheltering in place and going out the least amount. Well, I wish you ongoing success, and I thank you for telling your story here on Forum this morning. Uh, That's Brenda Herrick, and again, she's a San Mateo resident, a COVID-19 survivor, and a nurse. And when we return, we'll talk to some more people who have survived coronavirus, and we do want to hear from you. Join us at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. I'm Michael Krasny. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're talking about coronavirus and talking to some people here in the Bay Area who have survived coronavirus or attempting to continue to survive with it. Uh, Dr. Maya Artandi is with us the whole hour. She's a doctor who treats coronavirus patients at Stanford Healthcare, and you are welcome to join us. We do want to hear from you and do want to hear if you've had an experience with coronavirus you'd like to share. You can give us a call at our toll-free number, 866-733-6786. That number again for your calls, 866-733-6786, or get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email us, forum at kqed.org. Uh, I want to bring on some other listeners who have struggled, but I want to go back, if I could, with you, Dr. Antandi, to the long haulers, because uh, this is pretty disturbing. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of people who really don't have uh, negative, who don't have negative, excuse me, don't have symptoms, have negatives or have negative symptoms. Uh, and the symptoms, nevertheless, are consistent often with COVID-19. But it's difficult to know how long these people are going to be struggling. And they're also often struggling with neurological symptoms, uh, even things like memory loss and hallucinations, commonplace for these people. Yeah, this is completely accurate. This is an interesting virus. I've never seen this in any other viruses, that um, these long-term damages, as I said before, the virus can cause um, lung problems. Um, if you look at the CT of people who had 
um, COVID-19, you can often see lung damage. The virus can cause heart problems. And some people get um, heart muscle condition called cardiomyopathy after that. Um, as you said, the virus can cause neurological problems. People feel like they're in a fog, they have memory issues. I have a lot of patients who feel dizzy for weeks afterwards. So this virus can cause a lot of issues. Since we have really only known about this virus for eight months now, we don't know what will happen to those patients long-term. There's about uh, at least some estimates of maybe even a third of those who suffer from COVID uh, never really recovering or I don't want to make this too frightful or too scary. It's scary enough as it is, but uh, there was a paper on this that came out of the CDC, and yet there's nothing about this on the CDC website. It's because we actually don't have a lot of data. Um, most patients who have mild COVID will not develop those long-term symptoms. It's more common in patients who had severe issues. There was a paper out of Italy that looked at patients who were hospitalized in the ICU, and many of those had long-term symptoms, weeks after. Let me bring a caller on with us again. Uh, Dr. Maya Artandi is a doctor who treats coronavirus patients at Stanford Healthcare, and let's go to Phil and Davis. Phil, welcome. You're on the air. Hi, how are you doing? Hey, thank you. Yeah, I had uh, I had COVID back in April, and I've never had an illness that gaslit me so much. <clears throat> um, you weren't sure if you were really sick, and then you weren't sure if you were getting better. You'd have a few days where you felt like everything was right, and then it would smack you again. And again, that was back in April, but even now, um, I can feel that my lungs aren't right yet, and uh, and that's really disturbing. It is indeed. And Dr. Atande, what Phil has described is something that I'm afraid is all too commonplace, isn't it, with COVID? Yeah, unfortunately, we do see that a lot. Well, we go back to this whole question of uh, long haulers, though, because uh, there's been some concern about, Phil used the word gaslighting, there's been some concern about medical gaslighting, uh, people who have, uh, particularly women, unfortunately, who have uh, uh, certain kinds of things we were talking about earlier, symptoms that are affecting their, uh, their they call it brain fog, or affecting them in a traumatic way. And all too often it's described as something psychiatric, uh, especially for women. But it, it does bear resemblance to what used to be described as chronic fatigue syndrome in many respects, does it not? In some effect. So chronic fatigue syndrome is also caused, um, the hypothesis it's caused by a viral infection and then people immediately notice that they're really tired. But COVID-19 is more than chronic fatigue syndrome. They, my COVID patients, again, have those pulmonary symptoms. They have cough, they have problems breathing. They still have this chest tightness. Of course, they are fatigued. Fatigue is a very common syndrome, but they don't just have fatigue. They also have all kinds of other things. Let me bring another caller on. We get Rick from uh, Brentwood next. And Rick, thank you for waiting. Join us, please. Hi, good morning. Morning. Well? Yeah, go ahead, Rick. You're I on the air. Okay. I was sick. Uh, started my first symptom June 23rd. It was just a simple little cough, a tickle in my throat. Never thought twice about it. Um, but the next day, woke up with very, very severe body aches, muscle pain. Um, eventually, that got worse. Uh, 
went could not get a uh, COVID test because I had lost my job just a month or so earlier and lost all my health care. So I did not have a private uh, care physician. Um, I did at the kind of last minute through uh, the Affordable Care Act get onto Kaiser, um, but that still didn't help me get a test. So eventually I went through a uh, CVS drive-through and it took 12 days to get my results back. But in the meantime, my symptoms have gotten much worse. Uh, I ended up at the emergency room at Kaiser, and then they gave me a test uh, that told me in just two days that I did indeed have COVID. Um, long range of symptoms, very scary. Uh, for a few days, I literally thought I would die from this. Um, eventually, did recover. And as uh, the doctor from Stanford mentioned, I what kind of made me get through this was after my emergency room visit, I started to receive daily phone calls from the Kaiser COVID team. Um, and that made me at least realize that I most likely was not going to die because there was so many other people worse off than I was that uh, had gotten through it. Um, so that did help me. Um, I eventually was deemed recovered. Um, on July 14th, I was sick for about 22 days. My very first day out trying to just walk like a normal person um, brought on a debilitating brain fog that has now been part of my life for the next 40 days or so. I'm on about day 71 today. Um, but the brain fog, was it was not just forgetting words or things like that. This literally felt like I was under anesthesia. Um, it uh, caused tunnel vision. The world was vignetted around me. I could only see directly right in front of me. Um, my body felt weighted down. I could not walk or function. I had to, my wife drove me home. I sat down and just sat in a chair staring straight ahead. Freaked my family out. Um, it usually lasts a couple hours. Um, sometimes I fall asleep and sometimes I can't sleep. So that fog has been happening since day one of my recovery. Um, now, Rick, I'm sorry drive. for what you've been through. Uh, it sounds like torment, and I hope that you can get out of the fog, especially. And I'd like to actually ask Dr. Atande about this so-called brain fog. What do we know, Dr. Atande? Or what do we don't know? We don't know a lot. I mean, I hear that from my patients, this brain fog, this difficulty concentrating, dizziness when standing up. Those are all very common symptoms. Um, I, I'm very, very sorry you're going through that. I don't know how long it will last. And we don't have any treatment for this at this time. We just have supportive treatment, which is get good rest, try to exercise as much as you can tolerate, um, healthy diet, really just the basics. Let me bring uh, another uh, COVID survivor into this conversation. Eric Black is a 65-year-old retiree and COVID-19 survivor who was recently affected by the wildfires near Santa Cruz. And Eric, good to have you with us. Welcome to the program. Uh, thank you for having me. Well, the uh, CDC yeah. says it takes about two to three weeks to recover after the first symptoms. Uh, that's not been your experience, has it? That is absolutely not my experience at all. It, it, it has, for me, been almost five months, and uh, it's quite serious. 
And uh, yeah, the, the double whammy of having uh, the fires on top of this is, is quite, uh, quite hard to take. The, the thing is, when I was initially uh, I, uh, clinically diagnosed, you know, you know, in the old days, there were no lab tests. There were no lab uh, uh, chemical tests for illnesses. It was all what symptoms did you display? And in, in early March, I was presumed positive because of the clinical symptoms that I had. At that time, no one uh, was able to be tested unless you were in the uh, hospital with a life-threatening display of illnesses. Um, now, most of you since, were, were negative, I think, except for an antibody test. Is that the case? Was that the case? That, that's true. Uh, since I was not able to be tested initially, um, my first tests were negative because they were after the, well, well after the 21 to 25 day uh, limit for testing. And you thought, let, let's talk about how you thought you uh, got COVID uh, in the post office. Is that right? Yes, um, I'm pretty well convinced that I actually uh, was infected in a confined space through aerosol disposal or dispersal in a uh, very small post office space. And what at this point uh, can you say about, well, first of all, I want to get back to the fact, I know you're a Silicon Valley engineer. We've been talking about brain fog. Uh, that's pretty scary stuff. You endured some of that too, didn't you? That's the, the very sc most scary part of, of this. Uh, my mind is my most valuable possession and it has it has come and gone by large part and you could probably hear some of that right now as you hear me it is very very serious to me um, i'm still experiencing the effects of the illness many months after i am uh, supposedly healed even though uh, you know, uh, a blood test show that I don't have the virus, I am not any more contagious at this point, but uh, I am definitely not myself anymore. And that has gone on for a long time. I'm so sorry for what you've been through. You're unfortunately in that category we talked about earlier of long haulers. Uh, what's the most important thing you've learned from having endured all this? The most important thing is probably that uh, even though I feel normal myself, I am not normal and people around me do not consider me to be normal. One of the things I've been doing for several months is uh, conducting online audio, uh, audio uh, music events and I have not been able to do that as well as I have in my past possession or my past, uh, I'm sorry, profession. There's an example of the brain fog. Uh, my past profession is audio engineer, and I can't do that as well as I could before. Well, I wish you good luck and uh, certainly recovery in every way, and I'm thankful 
for your joining us and telling your story. It's Eric Black, a 65-year-old retiree and COVID-19 survivor. And um, I wanted to actually go back for a moment to Dr. Maya Artandi and read a comment from a listener who says, listening to your guest, Brenda, who spoke with us early, the San Mateo nurse, uh, this listener says, I found it very interesting. She used the word lucky when discussing her symptoms in recovery. Is it lucky? She says she's extremely healthy and she must have a very strong immune system as a nurse. Talk about luck, Dr. Atande. I mean, as opposed to perhaps what might have been a strong immune system for someone like Brenda. Hmm. Again, it's, there's not a lot understood why. I think we just had a technological glitch with Dr. Atande. We'll try to reconnect with her. In the meantime, I want to bring Aliyah Terry on, who's a 22-year-old Fresno resident and a COVID-19 survivor. And uh, let me welcome you to the program, Aliyah Terry. Good to have you. Hi. Thank you for having me. I should mention that you work in student housing and uh, are a learning officer, part of the management team, uh, and got sick when? In March? And do you know why or how? Yeah, so I did get sick in March, and when I was speaking with the Fresno Public Health um, or County of the Public Health Office, it was very difficult to figure out how exactly I um, contracted the virus, so they wound up um, ruling it as um, communal spread. And can you describe what your symptoms were, what you first experienced? Uh, yeah, so on, I would say March 16th, I was actually driving home um, to my hometown of Tracy to visit my family. And right about halfway of my road trip, I started having like a burning, itchy feeling in my throat that came all of a sudden. And I started drinking water to see if that would help soothe it. And then eventually I started coughing, um, but I didn't think anything of it. And eventually it went away. But as soon as I got to my parents' house, I started sneezing. I had a slight fever. Um, I was experiencing body aches. And it just, it was just all out of a sudden, um, you know, feeling weird and different. And you were actually affiliated with one of the COVID-19, well, the COVID-19 black uh, group. Uh, these are groups that have formed, uh, in many instances, long haulers or certainly support groups uh, of different uh, backgrounds. Uh, and uh, how helpful was, was that? I mean, it provided a community. It's supposed to provide a community. It was actually very helpful because I got to see firsthand or hear different stories of people who had either had the virus or family members that had the virus um, in the African-American community and that have either passed away or recovered. And so it made me feel like I wasn't alone um, just because I hadn't met anyone else that had tested positive for the virus. So it was just kind of hard to go through this experience um, on my own until um, that program. Yeah, the COVID-19 Black website uh, talks about the, what they call the backpack of trauma, the institutionalization of healthcare against African-Americans. And it's really very instructive because you learn about 
how slaves went uh, to medical doctors and they essentially wanted to get them right back to the plantation to work. And you learn about the Tuskegee experiments where blacks were infected with syphilis without knowing it and lied to. What's the status for you now? Uh, I mean, what's the prognosis? Um, as of April of this year, I have recovered from the coronavirus. Um, so I, it, I was sick for about a little over a month and I was out of work, um, but I fully recovered in April. Well, I'm glad of that. And what have you learned most of all as we come up on a break here that you could share? I've learned that a lot of people don't take the coronavirus as serious as they should, especially if they haven't known anyone or personally experienced um, you know, testing positive for it. So I would just say, because I've gone through it to, you know, wear a mask, social distance, to not really, you know, go out to the beach or other places um, that aren't really necessary because you're putting other people at risk who may or may not survive, you know, the coronavirus if they test positive. Leah Terry, thank you so much for joining us and I hope you continue to stay healthy. Leah Terry is a 22-year-old Fresno resident and COVID-19 survivor. When we return, we'll hear from more of you. And I think we're patched back in to Dr. Artandi. I'm Michael Krasny. You're listening to Forum on KQED Public Radio. I'm Michael Krasny, and we're talking about the coronavirus with some who have experienced it and survived it. And we do want to hear from you. You can join us at our toll-free number, 866-733-6786, or join us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email any questions or any narratives about your own experiences you may want to share to forum at kqed.org. I think we have Dr. Maya Artandi back with us, a doctor treating coronavirus patients at Stanford Healthcare who's been with us the whole hour. And Dr. Artandi, we'll make sure you're back with us uh, in terms of a good connection. Yes, I am. I apologize about that. Well, not your fault. This is technology, and unfortunately, it doesn't always serve us the way we hope it will. But I had asked you before we lost you about sort of distinguishing or can we distinguish between this murky area between what's lucky and and just good uh, fortune as opposed to you know a strong immune system which one of the listeners raised as a question your thoughts so what we do know is that people who are older and have pre-existing conditions such as diabetes or heart disease or obesity have a higher risk of getting severe COVID-19 that said i also have young patients who had no pre-existing conditions who got a very bad case of covid 19 and needed to go to the hospital um there is a not a lot understood why some people get it i have patients who um live in a household with um, their family members and they get really sick and the family members sometimes don't have any symptoms even though they do have COVID-19. One of the theories is that the coronavirus um, cousin, the um, coronavirus that cause common cold symptoms, can cause some partial immunity and that those patients who don't have or who get COVID-19 but don't have a serious case of COVID-19 have been exposed to the common cold more often in the past. Let me read a few comments that are coming in. A listener named Banu writes, the pain is real. I get the flu vaccine every year this year. I'm also wearing a mask and exercising. COVID is a real virus. And certainly many of the people we've talked to and many of the people who have experienced it are trying to impress those of you uh, who don't necessarily take it as seriously 
as you ought to or as you really realistically should. Uh, another listener writes, Chris Cuomo on CNN talks about this brain fog, and he said he is still not the same months later. Another listener, Clark, writes, on March 17th, I became the 11th resident of Sonoma County to test positive for coronavirus. My case was very mild and lasted only three days. I experienced diarrhea, runny nose, and dry cough. I strongly suspect that my ketogenic diet and intermittent fasting were a primary factor in the ease with which I weathered the disease. I tested positive for antibodies in April and have just given my third round of plasma. I feel privileged for the opportunity to help a dozen others to recover. And again, you can add your voice to this. We certainly want to hear your experiences. Let me first, though, go to Chris from San Jose, who's a COVID-19 survivor and the owner of a small retail store in the South Bay. And welcome, Chris. Good to have you with us. Hi, thank you, Michael. Well, let's talk about what you experienced. Uh, got it in mid-March. What were the symptoms? Yeah, it, like many people, it was kind of your classic uh, examples of I had body aches, no energy, a, a fever came on. Um, but what was really alarming was uh, being short of breath and being unable to breathe. Um, I, I'm in generally good shape and have you know never experienced asthma or anything like that. So. Uh, it's really an unnerving experience when you feel like you just can't get enough air. And, and as a byproduct of that, uh, my heart started racing. So I would be lying in bed and my heart, you know, through a smartwatch could monitor it, uh, would be at a beat per minute that you would see normally on a treadmill. So it, it was um, terrifying, to say the least. And as a small business owner, you had to, of course, deal with all the exigencies of what small business owners have been dealing with, uh, decreasing number of people coming in the store and all the rest of that. Uh, what about tests? Uh, they weren't entirely available to you at first, I believe, were they? Yeah, that's right. So I got sick roughly one week after in Santa Clara County after they shut down everything. So um, I was at home with my kids. And by the morning when I realized something was terribly wrong, uh, had called my doctor. And at that time, she basically said, well, only come into the ER if you really can't breathe to that point. Um, otherwise, you need to stay home because there were no tests available. And you're still having symptoms at this point? Uh, it's been an interesting four months. So roughly, I was sick for what I'd say almost a month. Uh, at the end of April, I had this um, kind of a autoimmune response where I had a, a entire body rash, uh, fever, got through it, sweated it out, and seemed to be okay in that sense. But something seemed off, and it was really hard to explain. Um, there was definitely pressure still with my lungs, um, but I didn't want to go into the hospital. So uh, I really didn't do much about it. And every so often, there'd be issues of my heart would start racing for no reason. Uh, and then it wasn't until mid-July that uh, it was at night, and my heart started racing, um, again, as if I was running up a hill, just incredibly fast. So I went into the ER, and long story short, uh, ended up spending a few days there where they did what's called an echocardiogram, which is like an ultrasound for the heart. And I remember the, the technician asking me if I had had a heart attack before. And, of course, no. Uh, it was quite a surprise. Um, and long story short, they diagnosed what is now deemed as heart failure, um, and they attribute it to what they call myocarditis, which uh, can happen from a viral infection. And so um, now I live with, with heart damage, and I now have to you know, have basically my lifestyle completely changed. 
Oh, I'm so sorry. And uh, when you experience or endure something like heart damage and shortness of breath, kind of changes your view of everything, I imagine, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and it's it's strange in that there are the physical aspects of getting sick, and then there's the mental component where, you know, at night. So I, I, I got sick initially at night, and nights for me are still really scary in the sense of you wonder, am I going to be able to breathe? Am I going to make it through this night? And, um, you know, I have a whole new appreciation for anybody who survives this, as well as any other traumatic experience where life and death becomes, you know, a, a possibility. You really have to uh, work hard at relaxation. In fact, I've taken up yoga, of all things, to help uh, reduce stress and then anxiety in particular at night. Well, I wish you good fortune, and I hope that uh, particularly that anxiety will decrease and you will continue to mend. And uh, I thank you so much for joining us and telling your story this morning on Forum. Good luck to you. Oh, yeah, thank you. Let me uh, go to another uh, survivor of COVID, and that's uh, uh, Rocio Alvarado, who contracted coronavirus in March 2020. Uh, Rocio is 38 years old, lives in Los Angeles, uh, where she runs Wag City Dog, which is a dog clothing company. And Rocio, good to have you with us on Forum this morning. Welcome. Hi, good morning. Good morning to you. You brought it from Texas, I believe? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. And when did you know you had COVID? Um, so I was in Texas, um, it, on a March 11th is when I got sick, when I felt the first symptom. And then I actually flew back to LA the 12th. And once you got back to LA, uh, we, we've been hearing stories, particularly at that period of time of diff and we'll talk with Dr. Artandi about this, uh, and the present status of testing, but it was difficult to get a test, wasn't it? Oh, it was impossible. <laughs> Yeah, un unfortunately, so many have gone through that experience. So when did you actually find out the diagnosis? Um, I want to say it was probably like a week and a half after my first initial symptom. Um, I, uh, through, my, through my business, I sh shared a video about my experience and uh, it, you know, got like it went everywhere and uh, somebody reached out to me and I was able to finally get tested. Um, but that was the only reason that I was able to get a test was because of the network that I have through 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 Instagram. Um, but yeah, it, it if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have gotten a test, and it took about a week and a half. And you were not all that convinced that you had COVID, is that right? Until you had a chest X-ray. Um, no, I I so it was at the very beginning of March, and so I thought I had allergies, and it wasn't until the the symptoms progressed where I couldn't breathe anymore that I, that I was pretty sure that I had it. Um, but, uh, yeah, my, my family was convinced that I didn't have it cause it was just not, it really wasn't present. I was in Texas and nobody really had, there was no cases there yet. So they just didn't understand how I got it. And what was your insurance status at that point? I was uninsured. That must've been scary too. Yeah, I mean, it was one of the reasons that I put off going uh, to the to the doctor early on, um, and then finally, when I just realized this is not this is not a normal allergy, this is not you know any this is you know I finally went and uh, I went to three different hospitals, and the only one who, where I really got any type of medication was urgent care because I paid out of pocket, and so um, 
they gave me, you know, an inhaler and a breathing treatment. Um, but yeah, it was, it was at the time where we really didn't know how to, we didn't really have a handle on it. And so there was really nothing they could do for me. And they were telling you, I believe, uh, as was so often the case back then when we knew little and, uh, had all kinds of misconceptions. You were young, so you didn't have much to worry about. Isn't that the message you were Correct. Getting? Yeah. Yeah. That was the doctor literally told me cause I, so I live alone and I also don't have any family here. So I was just really, really scared because I have no one to take care of me. And, um, you know, I, I personally would have rather just stayed in the hospital because I felt so unsafe being at home alone. Like if I needed care, there was nobody to help me. And, um, now we know a little more about COVID, but, um, they weren't ruling out like, uh, being overweight as, as a comorbidity. So they were just sending me home. And so I now know that that's one of the reasons that I got uh, really sick is because I am overweight and that is now considered a preexisting for, you know, uh, for COVID, like for you to get, for it to attack you worse. And they were giving you steroids? They gave me steroids. They gave me, um, uh, I think, antibiotics. And talk, if yeah. you would, about uh, how this changed you. Um, I think there's, um, there's really a, a somewhat happier story in terms of despite what you went through and, and the difficulties and the nightmares and the symptoms and having to fight all of that, uh, you, you came out of something as a result of this. Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, right before I got sick, I was just in a really bad uh, mental space. I, you know, uh, had just started therapy and just kind of really not 100%. Um, and so I think going through that uh, made me really appreciate my health and my life. And um, there's just something about like just, you know, I there was many times where I just did not think that I was going to make it out. Um, and so that just completely changes your perception on life. Well, I hope that perception stays upbeat despite all the difficulties that you've been through and all the difficulties we face in this pandemic and in the mm -hmm. trauma that we're all going through here in the surreal time of Corona. Thank you for joining us, Rocio. Good to have you with us. Thank you. It's Rocio Alvarado who contracted coronavirus back in March 2020, a 38-year-old who lives in Los Angeles. And let me go back to Dr. Maya Artandi, again, a doctor who treats coronavirus patients at Stanford Healthcare. And Dr. Artandi, let's talk for a moment about insurance. I want to follow up on that with you. Uh, if you can shed some light on some of the difficulties you're seeing or some notion of what we need to do, certainly enough talk about healthcare and how it's not uh, providing for too many people. So what we see in our um, crown clinic, the clinic that treats the outpatient COVID patients, is that many of our patients have no health insurance at all. Um, we still treat them because we need to take care of people. We need to keep them out of the emergency room. We need to make sure that they're okay. Um, our drive-through at Stanford also um, takes people without insurance. And I believe there's a national bill that COVID testing needs to be paid for. Let me bring another caller on. We've got Elizabeth from Sonoma joining us next. Elizabeth, welcome. You're on the air. Hi. Yeah, I'm 39 years old, and I'm a long hauler. I'm on day 163. And um, Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. It's pretty miserable. Um, I have a toddler, too, so <laughs> wow. makes it rough. 
Um, but I first got it March 22nd, and I was in bed for three weeks, and then it came back on July 4th, and I've had six negative tests, and I just wanted to share with listeners that there are so many young people that have gotten this that are totally healthy, that never went to the hospital, and, you know, five months later are still dealing with the symptoms every day, very severe symptoms, um, And another thing I wanted to say is that people like me are never counted. So when you look at those numbers, um, they're they're not necessarily reflecting the many, many people who couldn't get a test. Um, In March, the only way that you could get a test was if you'd been in China, if you were on a Princess cruise ship, or if you knew someone and could prove that they had a positive coronavirus test. and I have no idea how I got it. I never once had a temperature. Um, and I'm I'm young and otherwise healthy, but it's it's completely upended my life. I hope you can get it back to the way it was, Elizabeth. And thank you for sharing your story. Appreciate that very much. And let me go back to you, Dr. Atandi. Uh, what about testing? What's the status of testing now as you see it? And maybe we could also address Elizabeth's concerns, uh, those numbers that she talks about, which are kind of invisible. So at Stanford, we are really fortunate because we have the drive-through. So we test many hundred patients a day and the turnaround is quite fast, about one to two days. But there are still areas in the United States where there's a significant testing shortage, um, which is really heartbreaking. And some of these tests don't come back for 10 days and that doesn't really help anybody. If you wait for your test and you have to wait forever to get it back, So that's not a good solution to the problem. But Elizabeth was also raising the question about how many people don't know they have the virus and really can't discern it. And a lot of that has to do with the difficulty of testing. Yes. So there's data out there that about 30% of patients who have COVID-19 are completely asymptomatic or only have really mild symptom like a scratchy throat that they think is mostly caused by allergies. Um, so I believe that we have to test much more to really um, identify those patients who do have COVID-19 and then isolate them so we can stop the outbreak. And I have a listener who wants to know, where can you get an antibody test to figure out if you've had COVID? So the antibody test is not perfect because some people who only have mild COVID don't even make antibodies. Antibodies normally are produced about three to four weeks after the infection. And again, not everybody makes the antibodies and we don't even know if the antibodies protect anybody. We just had a case in Nevada uh, where a patient who had COVID-19 got reinfected. Um, So I don't really advise getting the antibody test at this time because we don't have enough data about it. Let me just read a couple of quick comments. Leslie writes, my niece worked in COVID ward for three months in New York and saw her share of recoveries and losses. She concludes that it's the luck of the draw. And Cindy writes, and this is particularly, I think, to some of you younger listeners, uh, my daughter was a thriving athlete as a sophomore in high school in 2009 when she suddenly came down with severe headaches, crippling fatigue, muscle pain, brain fog, and was in and out of hospitals for months. She was diagnosed with post-viral syndrome, like the COVID patients are describing. She has learned to live with it, but it completely changed the trajectory of her life. She was able to go to college and play college sports, but it was a struggle, and she continues to take medication to this day. I'm very worried about the young adults who could have the same experience as a result 
of COVID. We'll leave it there. Let me thank you, Dr. Maya Artandi. Good to have you with us this morning. Appreciate very much your being with us. Thank you so much. That's Dr. Maya Artandi, who is a doctor treating coronavirus patients at the Stanford Health Care. And uh, we also talked to a number of survivors. Uh, uh, we've got another hour of forum up ahead. Uh, and uh, please stay tuned for that. Thank you for joining us for this hour. You can always let us know what you think about what you hear on forum by emailing forum at kqed.org. For all of us here at KQED, I'm Michael Krasny. Stay safe. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.